Hey, Christy, what do we talk about on our podcast? Well, Ashley, we talk about all kinds of weird stuff. Like aliens. And ghosts. And cults. And cryptids. And witches. And murders. Yeah, even sometimes murders. Basically, we talk about all kinds of weird shit. Oh, I already said that. Oh. So yeah, if you like weird topics, feminist rants, and the occasional F-bomb, you should listen to us. We post new episodes every other Monday. Find us online at thatsweird.org. And subscribe to That's Weird on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst. You can find us online with Twitter at The Thirst, soundcloud.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. You can search for us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes by finding The Thirst. Instagram, we're at The Thirst Pod. And you can email us as well, thethirstpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded the episode so far, left us some um, reviews, given us any feedback. You can also find a list of links and articles that we mentioned on the episode on our Tumblr, which is thethirstpod.tumblr.com. Yes. Um, This is a special, a very special episode. Very special mini-sode. Mini-sode, but probably... so 22.5. 22.5, yes. There's yes. no jokes for 22.5. No, 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 so no. Um, the reason we're doing a sort of a special mini-sode is because we um, recently went to the London Film Festival. We did indeed. And we thought that it would be a good opportunity to talk about um, our experience there and uh, a couple of the films that we saw while we were in London. Um, also, we had too much content. Oh, so much content. I don't know. This time of year, every year, it just goes into full, like, batch mode there's just too much to see and talk about it does feel like over the summer we're often kind of struggling to come up with oh, sort of things just to talk like about like a barren wasteland and of then like weird blockbusters and then you get to this time of year and it's just everything comes out tv movies music just borderline anxious about the whole thing so but, we yeah. thought that we would take the london film festival stuff out of the main episode and stick it under its own mm. little area yeah and this pen. is we've done london film festival before we but have. um this is our first experience of the headline gala which is very exciting yeah so we have been to it before haven't we so um i've seen things over the last sort of Four years, I Mm -hmm. think. I think my first experience of it was when I went in 2015. I saw um, Tangerine. Oh, yes, you did, didn't you? Yeah. Yep, filmed entirely on an iPhone. I saw that and it was a really great experience of the festival. Um, And then the following year we saw... I'm not a serial killer. Yes, we did. Yeah, that was my first London Film Festival that was your experience. First experience. I enjoyed that very much. I that remember, was at the Prince Charles. It was it? at the Prince Charles. I remember being very, very tired when yeah. we saw that film. <laughs> oh, God, I think we'd been to London before then as well for we something had. else. Every time London Film Festival comes up, we always seem to go to London about 60 times. Again, because yeah. there's loads of gigs and stuff. In the last two weeks, I've been to London four times. It's just a two lot. Two of those occasions being London Film Festival, and it's just been very. When it's hours away, that's just a lot. Yeah, we're not that far, but we're also not that close. Close, no. so especially when you're driving back. Later also, I'm night, lazy, right? If I can go 20 minutes down the road to somewhere in my own city versus two and a bit hours to London, obviously I'm going to take to me. go to the cinema. To go to the cinema. Yep. That's essentially what we're doing. Yeah. So, and then last year we went and saw uh, my friend Dharma, which we did talk about on the podcast. Yes, we did. Um, and that was uh, in that was in Hackney, yeah. Hackney Picture House. Yeah. So it's been quite nice actually. With each um, time we've been to the London Film Festival, they have been at different venues. Yeah, that has been nice. Um, obviously, when we were there this year, both of the headline galas were at the same cinema in Leicester Square. I think it was the View. This, I think it was Cineworld. It was Cineworld. I think it was Cineworld. Yeah. 
the... I thought it was going to be a view. We went to view, and then I was like, there's nothing here. There's literally a building site. To be so honest, it, there's, there's always something screening at each of the film mm. uh, the cinemas in Leicester Square. So if you've not been to London before, and you haven't been to Leicester Square... Let April explain Let London to you. It's just basically, um, it's fairly central in London, but there's loads and loads of cinemas in a really sort of Tiny little area. space, yeah. Um, so that's where the film festival bulk of it tends to happen. With so, the red carpet. We decided pretty quickly when the headline galas were announced that we wanted to see Beautiful Boy and we wanted to see Suspiria. So it's, yeah, hard to buy headline gala tickets. And I think obviously Beautiful Boy was going to be um, a bit of a faff because of guest appearances I think when such. You, I think when you're essentially going up against the entire Timothy Chalamet fandom oh, it's hard. to try and get tickets. But, you know, we, we got Harry Styles tickets before. We I do. love how that was a walk in the park compared to this. I love that you said that as well. You were like, in comparison to when we had to try and get Harry tickets last year. Harry tickets for a tiny venue. Yeah. And that was like, I just walked into those. <laughs> but this was just horrendous. I think we basically got the last tickets in the, the entire place because there were only two separate seats they left. They were really great seats though in the end. So. Oh, it was really good. On the actual day, we drove down to London, yes. had a nice dinner beforehand, um, and the, I don't know, it was so funny, like the, the entire experience was... We were ab- so unprepared. Really unprepared for it, absolutely surreal. So we left, the first day we went to see Beautiful Boy was on a Saturday, yeah. um, and so we had more of, less of a kind of stress after work or anything, we went down during the day, didn't we? And we but had, I had more pre-show anxiety than I've had for anything in Absolutely, and, and why was that? Um, because I had booked these Beautiful Boy tickets in the, the vain hope that Timothy Chalamet would be appearing. Full disclosure. And of course, he was. Yeah, so the thing with London Film Festival is because it's, you know, the a big film festival, really, um, a lot of um, the actors and directors, etc., um, appear alongside the films to either introduce them because it's a premiere or just to sort of do Q&As. Mm-hmm. And there was a slight inkling that Timmy had been doing a lot of appearances alongside the film at he other was film so gonna festivals. so going to be there. I just felt it in my waters, but also couldn't prove it when booking £30 tickets to go to the We cinema. took a big risk and it paid off. Oh, so good. So we, we knew that he was going to be there and that gave us the jitters a little bit. I was like... And we were just saying this beforehand, actually, before we did this, that like I'm prepared in life now at like 30 years of age to deal with lo- like anxiety and real low points. Yeah. I'm not quite equipped yet to deal with anxiety high points when something is so positively overwhelming. Yeah. I just can't handle it. No, we had a very similar experience when we saw Harry last year, didn't we? That we were kind of just like... Just too much. Just, it, was all, it was all a bit much. Like it was so exciting and happy and, and, and intense. That I just, we just lose my thread with no, everything though. Absolutely. I just can't pull myself together. So... So we knew that Timmy was going to be there. So we, um, yeah, we left the restaurant in Leicester Square and wandered out. And obviously, it was a Saturday in London, in central London, and fucking rammed. It was rammed anyway because it's tourist trap extraordinaire. But obviously, it was a film festival, so it was. And extra there's the M M&M and M World Store there. You were, and, you know, that attracts a lot of people. April. I mean, that's where I always want to go. When we're in it's London. my favourite shop. It's the M M&M and M store. So we, yeah, we're wandering across Leicester Square and we saw a big crowd and we were like, oh, it's one of the red carpets. It's the red carpet. Everyone goes to see what's on the red carpet, even if yeah. there's nothing there. Absolutely. So. We sort of we wandered up and we thought like oh we'll just you know see what's happening and then I just the timing of this was just insane. It was impeccable timing. If we'd been any this later, is, we would have missed it. We would have missed. We it. were there like to the moment when it happened. There was like this Mexican wave of like young screams. It was just like like that. It was like ghostly, and I think we just looked at each other and we were like. That's a Timmy scream. That's a Timmy like, scream. You just, you just got to know, right? They're not doing that for Steve Carell. Sorry, Steve. 
but and then and then I vividly so I'm quite short <laughs> and I couldn't really see over the crowd. Should have brought you some shoes. And you were like, you got. You, I was <laughs> jumping. And you saw and you were like, they're all holding copies of Call Me by Your Name book. Like they've got. The I book. could see the they're, blue. They're the I saw the blue the spine, air. and I was like, fucking the arms are out with the blue book. I know who's coming. And then moments after that. The Boy King himself appeared before us. In a bloody Alexander McQueen floral suit and boots. And boots. Neither of us were prepared for this. No $900 white trainers. No. Not prepared for any of this. No, I'd been quite critical in advance of the screening that I said that if you turned up in a suit and those awful white trainers, I was going to cry. Bloody white shoes. I don't care if they're expensive. They are ghastly. So So we saw Timmy. He was before us. He was very a, close two like two rows of people there were two rows of people in front of us we it were was, so close and I still don't believe it now and it, despite the fact I've got photographic evidence on my phone of clear it, photographic evidence clear photographic evidence that he was there but I then still, it got worse it got worse so um <sighs> I just want to point out that so we're surrounded by a lot of people in this crowd, and I just all of re- which are, whom are going, who is this person? Who is this? And we're going, it's Timothy Chalamet. It's and they're Timothy going, Chalamet. I literally don't know who that is. Uh, uh, one lady, she asked me who it was. She she was moving out of the way to let us get a bit closer. Kindly letting us get Kindly closer. Us get closer. And she asked me who, who it was, and I said, oh, it's Timothy Chalamet. And she gave then she proceeded to give me a picture. This of, boy? You mean oh him? And she handed me a, a really nice <laughs> printout, <laughs> like like nice photo card stock of, of love of, the PR out right of of um timmy in as kyle in ladybird too much which i thought was just like i'm holding too this much. picture of him he's there so this all happened we were quite overwhelmed and then i remember turning to you and going i think we have to walk the red carpet to get into the venue and i was like april that's bullshit and even if it's true which i don't think it is because they're gonna have a side entrance for yeah. the like pedestrians for the normals but i was like they're not gonna let make us do it when he's on the red carpet like you can't just walk past timothy chalamet Apparently, you can. Listeners, we had to walk the red carpet with Timothy Chalamet. In my jeans. There's people in fucking gowns, and I'm just wearing like. I don't think. I think I was just wearing jeans and a striped top and my DMs and a denim jacket. Oh, God. So we had to fight our way through the crowd, go to the security Excuse me, I'm here to get. Excuse me, I've got tickets. I I really have got a ticket. Please let me through. So we had to walk the red carpet. Um, I remember just wanting to frog march our way up there because I was too She wouldn't stressed. let me linger. I just wanted to... I was being so stubborn. <laughs> I just wanted to stand there. And April was just trying to, like, drag... Stressed, like, man. you can't wait here. And I was like, I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to stand here in the middle. It'll be fine. It, no, you've got to move. My reasoning was twofold. Is I didn't want any embarrassing paparazzi pictures of us. I really life. wanted some <laughs> looking just And also, I just, I just felt like we were going to get told off. Yeah, you were so concerned about being told off. And I was like, what are they going to do, April? They're going to put me in prison. They can't fucking arrest me. I'm meant to be here. They can't move me on. So I was sort of dragging you up the red carpet. And then I, I go to you at one point. Look, like, Steph, turn Steph, left, left. Look Steph, left, look left. Look left, look left. And then by the time you actually looked left, you were like, what, Steve Carell? I was like, oh, Steve Carell's there. Steve Carell was on the red carpet. Fine, great. Looking great. Lovely. Um... But actually, what I was trying to draw your attention to was the fact that Timmy was the floor, standing next to us. Literally, the floral suit the standing floral next to us. Vision in florals. Just can't deal he with that. He is so tall. He's so tall. Like, knew he was a tall, tall man. But he really is. He's a vision. He's an absolute vision. He was glowing. In that suit. Obviously. And that that bike was the perfect suit. He arrived at the best time for us. And that jawline. We had to walk past him on the... It's just too much. It was it's hilarious. It's just too much. I was just a blithering mess. I just so couldn't deal with it. we got inside and then we just had a bit of a like, oh my God, that was insane. And then we were loitering in the lobby. Of I made the... April loiter for such a long time. It was really stressing her out. We met two women that had flown from <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> they, they were like, where do you come from? We were like, uh, we... like 
like traveled hours to get here from Norwich and they were like cool we're from Chicago like and we had like a little bonding session about how did you first how did you see Timmy how did you first come across Timmy call me by your name oh my god me too because he's literally been in like two mainstream films Mm, I liked him in Homeland great it was it was oh it was so surreal and then yeah so we were loitering in the lobby for ages basically because we were hoping that timmy was going to come in but i think i worked out that what happens is is they go in but then they once we're all in then they they sneak them in the side entrance and stuff so it was just absolutely like it was batshit really it was wild it was so so surreal so then we get seated we have the seat i can't believe they just have everyone who is a normal ticket holder walk up the red carpet i didn't anticipate that i didn't i thought they'd at least get the famous people to clear out before you were allowed yeah, to walk up there. Yeah, it's bananas. So we went and sat down and then... Um, made the boy move. Made the boy move. Bless him. Had just, Thank you. Thanks, whoever you are. Um, and then before the film, um, someone from the festival comes out and does a little bit of an introduction and then everyone sort of who's involved in that particular film came out. So um, at our particular screening, so it was the gala screening, it was the UK premiere of Beautiful Boy. It's not actually out here until January. Yeah, it's like January, February, isn't yeah, it? so like ages away. We were really, really pleased to have, have seen it this year as opposed to the start of next year. So at our screening, there was um, um, the director, Felix van Groningen, um, mm-hmm. he's Belgian director. Uh, Beautiful Boy is his first English language feature. And then also he appeared alongside um, producers Didi Gardner and Jeremy Kleiner, who are from Plan B. Mm-hmm. Um, the film itself is produced, the production company's Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's production oh, okay. company. Yes, yes, because he was credited in the... Yeah, yeah Didi yeah. Gardner is um, a name I'd sort of recognised from kind of just other films, actually, but I didn't know who Jeremy Kleiner was. And obviously Steve Carell was there and Timothy Chalamet himself. Yeah, um, and, and that then, was, yeah, that was really lovely. It was nice to see everyone. And they were there as well with um, Nick and David Chef. So the film itself um, stars Steve Carell as David Chef, who's a writer who struggles to help his son Nick, played by Timothy, negotiate his drug addiction, which disrupts both their relationship and the family as a whole. Um, it's adapted from two books, which I thought was quite interesting. It's the memoirs of both. It's both memoirs. Yeah, right? so yeah. Um, Beautiful Boy, A Father's Journey Through His son's addiction is by david who's obviously the father and then tweak growing up on methamphetamines by nick who is the son Mm. so it's sort of the book the film sorry takes from both books which Mm. i think is really interesting when you think about how i'm sure there are completely varying perspectives yeah it's two perspectives into one isn't it yeah and i'm sure that um i think that if you read both of the books i'm sure that if you saw the film you'd be able to see fairly Mm. easily Mm. what the the kind of varying perspective was um so the film itself premiered at the toronto film festival in september and obviously this was the first screening of it in the uk which we were very 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 lucky to be at mm. what were your kind of sort of feelings about the film i mean my feelings were positive like mm. i i i enjoyed if enjoyed the right word i enjoyed it i thought it was an effective film um i'd kind of gone in anticipating i probably imagine you did too feeling like i thought i was going to come out feeling really heartbroken and really depressed yeah and neither of those things really happened um i came out feeling definitely very thoughtful about the entire scenario but and also just very frustrated Mm -hmm. at that vicious cycle of addiction because that's very much kind of the way the plot plays out is it it flashes it's sort of you've got the present time um of nick and his dad but it also flashes back to when nick was a kid um but the the plot itself is very cyclical as addiction is you know there's sort of moments of getting better and then there's moments of relapsing um and it yeah that it was a very vicious cycle that made me feel very frustrated not at the film but at the you know yeah at the kind of the experience that they were going through i i think you i imagine you agree as well that it's quite a subtle film um i was pleased that it didn't 
really rely on any kind of gratuitous drug scenes any it didn't it didn't glamorize drug taking but it also didn't make it feel extremely tragic yeah in a kind of it wasn't full of pathos in the way that i was a bit worried that it might be i think it's really interesting when you think about how um addiction um narratives are often portrayed on screen i'm we know how those usually go right yeah there's there's always a trajectory that you anticipate with something like that and i think that the way that the film is sold in the trailer is really interesting because i like you anticipated going in and feeling like i would be completely emotionally overwhelmed and and that it would be a bit of a cry fest that you would just be constantly hugging on the top it would be so tragic yeah um yeah and it wasn't like that at all which no. i think actually is is i don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing I no think i think it's a really strong point and i think it justifies having a film like this because it is very different to a lot of the other drug narratives that are out there yeah absolutely i think that um something i've picked up on in an, an interview that um we will be talking about uh, a future date mm. is that um timothy himself has referred to the sort of said about the film and um, that it isn't a downer because it is really redemptive and hopeful which i sort yeah. of agree with to a point i think i did get frustrated with it in a lot of places but not in the sense that I didn't like it but just because you sort of feel like you understand how the cyclical nature of addiction and the fact that actually you know like okay there are parts where his drug use kind of is nixed for a Mm -hmm. while and then he gets back involved with it and it's just it's sort of it's really annoying it is it's constant and it's annoying and there wasn't in this story in particular there isn't a really big build up to why Nick is addicted um, you don't really get that like no. there's not a big it's not like I say it's not glamorised it's not like this big party lifestyle it's just it kind of just seems to just happen and it just seems really pointless and a big shame and you can see how Steve Carell's character is just really baffled as to how they got to that place. It's that kind of baffling nature of it, which I think is interesting, I suppose, if you think about that um, Nick himself comes from a sort of a, like a, you know, fairly well-to-do background. Yeah, there's nothing... He's got a good support yeah. system around him, but there's obviously something within him which has empowered him to think that drugs are the answer to it. Mm. And I actually, th- I actually think that it's quite interesting how it doesn't double down on looking at like, okay, so what's what was the trigger point? And yeah. you just kind of get the impression that like he just did it because he was bored or he was looking for something to do and and you know that is often the case with a lot of people there's no kind of you know there's not off there's not always Mm. a you know huge trigger point for people to Mm. get involved in 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 drink or drugs or anything like that for some people it is just a kind of a case of oh i did it once kind of enjoyed Mm. the high and then you're just continually chasing that and i think that the film does capture that yeah Um, it feels like the the camera and the audience and everyone are very much sitting on this very kind of level perspective and you're watching these two is you know it there are other characters obviously but the father and son relationship in particular you're kind of watching both of their experiences um in a very kind of i don't know a very you're very distance from it and it's a very kind of level-headed way it doesn't feel like nick is positioned as a victim Mm -hmm. but he's also not positioned as a hero like sometimes he's really pathetic and you feel really bad for him sometimes he's a little shit and it just it, yeah, I guess it's this this idea that it doesn't fall easily into a category of being really critical about drug use or overly sympathetic about drug use. It's very kind of, well, not unbiased, but it just... It feels quite level. I think yeah. that's a really interesting way of thinking about it because I think you're right. I think that, that sort of David, um, Steve Carell's character, the father and Nick, they're not necessarily positioned as the good guy or the no, bad guy. No. It's just kind of like this really unfortunate situation. And I think their relationship is the thing that actually is really at the forefront of the film. The 
drugs are kind of in the background because yeah. actually the whole the whole purpose of the film is almost just to show you the kind of really the impact that it has on their relationship mm-hmm. but then also the kind of relationship of people around them so you've got mm. the um you've got Nick's stepmom you've got mm-hmm. his mum who he doesn't live with you've got mm-hmm. these other people you know you have his sponsor at a later date you've got people he was at uni with you know you've got there are other characters in there and you do see how it trickles out and actually mm-hmm. how it can just become all consuming and mm-hmm. there's the finding that trying to find that balance of like okay well we have to deal with this problem but then we also can't let it consume our entire lives because yeah how much of our time do we want to mm. or can we physically dedicate to this if actually mm. it's this cycle and it becomes corrosive for everyone mm. and I think that the film did a really really good job of mm. conveying that and I did think it was interesting the way that the narrative does switch back and forth between yeah. kind of present day or present day in the sense of mm. when the film is kind yeah. of I think it's meant to be the early 2000s yeah. so that point and then you've got scenes that are going back to sort of show you indications of um, David and Nick's relationship so when he was quite small mm. and when he's meant to be kind of I guess sort of 10, 11, 13 where mm. he's um, young Nick um, is played by oh my God. the kid who plays Eddie, Eddie in it, it which is like when you the see best. him and Timothy Chalamet side by side it makes you perfect sense you yeah. can see it you can see it and you can kind of you know there are just really sort of nice you know glimpses into things from their past so it's mm. kind of it gives you an idea of what their relationship's like but it doesn't kind of set the seed for like oh no this is the bad trigger point it just sort of shows you you know a father and son relationship mm. and how it grows and, and, and everything like that so I think that yeah I did really enjoy it I enjoyed it in a way that I, I hadn't anticipated I hadn't anticipated I got a lot out of it yeah and, but not I always expected to get something out of it but it what I got out of it wasn't what I expected um, yeah. but I really liked that as well did you feel like you were leaning towards either Steve or Timmy as like the best performance of the two it's hard actually because I think I found myself switching quite a lot yeah I think that Steve Carell's someone whose career is really really interesting if you think about Mm. the fact that most people know him as um, playing Michael Scott in The Office and actually what's been quite funny is that Tom and I have recently started re-watching The US Office Mm. because we'd watched sort of the first season and and some of the second season but I hadn't really ever been on board with it Um, and it's back on Amazon Prime so we decided to jump in and it's been very interesting watching him in a comedic role mm. when actually a, a lot of what I've seen him in recently has mm. been more serious dramatic think, yeah roles. and I've only really seen him in a comedic role to be and, honest and this I think is my that he I think he, he's serious so outing. good so good he's really 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 good and you can just he just plays the role of like a concerned and frustrated and angry he's just father. exasperated isn't he it's he? The, just is I think that's such a good way of describing it but then on the flip side I think that Timmy just his role is so immersive it is and I know that we are obviously extremely biased because we do love him a great deal, but I think that he does... But I think the part of reason why we love him is because his like his performances really do. I mean, he really is like the person to be watching in Hollywood right now because his performances just always seem to have this aura about them. They just stand out. He goes above and beyond, and I think there, it's telling, actually, that despite my absolute love for him, there are parts when we were watching this film where I was just like, you're really fucking me off. Like, He's you're, so annoying. You're really frustrating you shit. You need a You need a slap because you're just being an absolute, like, dick. Yeah. And I think that's testament to actually how good the performance is the mm. fact that he like he makes you hate him at parts even though that we deeply love him L- deeply love him we're doing yeah. so i think that the, the i think that this role is already being talked about for both of them actually um in terms of um oscars um in the new year so it'll be mm. really interesting to see who's positioned as the front rather and whether they'll be best supporting mm. or best actor kind that of that will be interesting and i imagine i don't know i'm it's hard because they've both got equal sque- screen part time. of me imagines that timmy's gonna go into best supporting just 
that's because almost like of his age. I don't know. I feel like that's happened in the past a bit as well. I think he's probably got more of a chance in Best Supporting, Mm. to be honest. There have been a lot of really strong Best Actor performances. And I do think that age probably, you're right, plays into it. But I also think that, yeah, I think he's probably got more of a chance. So I do wonder Mm. if they'll um, sort of steer him in that direction when Mm. it comes for your consideration. He's going to win something soon. I hope he does. It's it's Um, definitely worth seeing. It's crazy, just a couple of other things. Like, I cannot believe he lost £18 for this film. Where did he find the £18 to lose? You told me that. And I was like, he's a string bean anyway. He's about 23 pounds. How it's did he insane. lose 18 of them? Maybe he's so tiny in this. He's so, I guess maybe because he's tall, he can kind of streamline a bit more. But yeah, it um, was the, very skeletal. So skeletal. And another thing was the pop culture references. Which oh, yeah. I think I knew that like going through the film when they now and again cropped up, I could feel you kind of reacting to them <laughs> next to me, which is really nice. I have nice. got, yeah. So I, I was going to mention the soundtrack actually. It's, I've been listening to it quite a lot. There's mm. um, some really interesting um, music choices. I remember actually I talked to Paisley about this and she said that she felt that some of them took her out of the film but I oh, was okay, really in on it so um I sort of some people that were referenced in it's Mogwai, Zola Jesus, um, Massive Attack, there's a really, Zola Jesus, yeah Jesus. there's a really um, brilliant use of um, territorial pissings by mm-hmm. Nirvana which is one of my favourite Nirvana songs but I just really enjoyed that. Um, I was just quietly squirming next to me or, in the cinema when um, it comes on. It's Neil Young, Chromatics and um, the film itself is obviously named after the John, John Le- Lennon song. Yeah. Um, there's a song that was written especially for the credits by Sanfa, um, Treasure which is brilliant mm-hmm. um, but there's one particular moment which is not a spoiler but there's um, Timmy <laughs> I know exactly which one yeah, you mean so yeah. he's in his bedroom he's doing some writing on his laptop and he's listening to On Guard by La Tigra just... and I what honestly a, thought that I was going what to die. What a deliberate, like... Like, I have such that's fond... Shot, like, such affection. Shots fired at us Right, I've got such affection for La Tigre and for Kathleen Hanna as a whole and the fact that I, for a brief second of my life this year, I got to experience one of my favourite actors in the entire world listening to one of my favourite bands. Insane. It was... It was just... I had to really stifle a yelp in the cinema, so... I would say, just kind of on closing, one of the things that didn't work for me, and it's only only minor, so it doesn't really matter, is, you know, in the close of the film, um, before the credit scene, which, again, just, you know, there were people leaving, about to leave during the credit scene, and then they stood there for the whole, like, eight minutes or something to write it out. It's the second um, Timmy film, which has got a lengthy credit sequence mm-hmm. that you have to sit through obviously Call Me By Your Name has quite a, yes. a famous one now but yes you the, literally that, grind like you are you know you, he stops you you have to stay and you have, you have to, to stay. stay but just before that the closing out they do one of those um, like subtitle sequences that says like you know so and so many people in the world are affected by drug addiction every year I just didn't really need that I was I like this is that. a specific situation clearly it is talking about a broader situation but I didn't need that kind of that felt quite cliche to me and I was like I don't I don't need the like this affects everyone you know so and so people in the world every year like I've, obviously it's yeah it really veered into like a very special episode territory where it did, it's like right? you know that it did I think you're completely right yeah it did take me out of it a little bit and I could really have done without it well, but it was I, at the end so yeah. that was kind of like Thank you're forgiven God. and then it comes into the credit scene which we won't spoil but so that that was that felt a bit silly and I was like oh misstep there but you know if that's for me that's that's kind of the worst that there is I'm really interested really. to see it again actually I think when it gets general release here in the UK in the new year I think we'll, we'll, we'll definitely go and see it again because I'm really interested to see if I pick up on anything um differently the second time or if my general experience 
sense of it's different um, outside the realms of being mm. overwhelmed by it being at the gala and mm. the film festival. So, but if anyone does have the opportunity to go and see it, I definitely recommend it. We'll perhaps talk about it again soon yes. um, in the near future. So, on to our second film experience at London Film Festival this year on the 16th of October at Cineworld and Leicester Square. Um, Suspiria, uh, which is the remake of Dario Argento's uh, original, which was released in 1977, which we've discussed before on the podcast. We um, We kind of recapped the trailer and gave our initial impressions of it. Uh, the original Suspiria is the first of um, a trilogy from Argento, which uh, is referred to as The Three Mothers, so it also comprises Inferno and The Mother of Tears. Um, it's widely regarded as a cult classic. Um, it's For anyone who's seen it, um, you know, it's very much known for its very striking visuals, uh, the real blood red colour scheme um, and the the iconic goblin soundtrack as well which no one can really forget Um, so this is a new updated sort of reinvented version directed by Luca Guadagnino um, aka Uncle Luca Luca. our favourite person ever um, who is of course the Italian director of I Am Love the a bigger splash and call me by your name which is a film that we haven't really uh, mentioned before never uh, no uh, it stars tilda swinton dakota johnson mia goth chloe grace moretz um and jessica harper among others and jessica harper actually played the lead protagonist in the original Suspiria film. Uh, Luke has worked with Tilda Swinton in particular on a number of films. They're very close friends. They've spoken of adapting this film for 20 years. Um, And the screenplay was written by uh, David Kuganich. Hopefully I've got that right. I couldn't work out how Um, to pronounce his name either. I YouTubed it, but I've sort of forgotten how it was pronounced now. So I think it's Kuganich. Um, who he's worked with Luca before as well on A Bigger Splash and he also recently um, worked on the screenplay for The Terror which is a TV programme that I I reviewed and enjoyed very much. So this has had yeah a really long build up. Um, We discussed before how when this was first announced um, as a remake I totally poo-pooed it and thought it was pointless and just I was really annoyed as a lot of people were. When I knew Luca was attached to it that kind of changed things Mm -hmm. and I was just so pleased that it was getting a gala performance at London Film Festival and it was the UK premiere so it's not out again it's not out in the UK yet I think it's at the end of this month yeah I think it's like Um, the 18th and 19th of November it's definitely the end of this month so we saw it four weeks in advance which was yeah which is really lovely um really exciting we got to do our red carpet thing again slightly better prepared this time I felt like we did a better job this time I dressed slightly more appropriately we did uh, we we both wore heels yes so (laughs) that made like that made all the difference made the difference I mean there were still people there in the the range of people at these gala shows is just so funny because there were like quite literally people in ripped jeans and backpacks and there were people on the other end of the spectrum in like prom gowns it's bizarre isn't it because there are obviously a lot of media people that go to these things um who don't give a shit who don't probably just come from work or like just going to sit and watch it for two hours and then got to go home and bash out a review and then i remember we was we were actually in the screen and then watching those girls like go up the stairs in their heels and long it was bizarre like a full-on like that's what you would wear if you were going to the met gala honestly if you're going to the actual met gala you would wear an outfit like that it's apparently i don't think they've established a uh like a, a dress code because I'm not sure which end of they the were, spectrum were, was right. To no, be there were men in like tuxes as well, and it was all very it was surreal. So weird. I think it? we we sat in the middle quite comfortably. I think we did, like slightly more dressed up than usual, but yeah. not like playing it cool. So smart fine. cash, yes, yeah, smart cash. And we were sitting quite near the front this time, which was. <laughs> 
quite an experience from an IMAX God, perspective, yeah. but also granted us um, very close contact with um, the guests for this showing, who were uh, Luca, Luca. Uh, Tilda, Tilda, Dakota, <laughs> and Mia, um, which was, I think, very, very, very exciting oh, for us. Just too exciting. Um, I felt, or it was, yeah, I was almost as giddy with excitement about seeing Luca as I was seeing Timmy, yeah. um, just for very different reasons. And they had a short Q and A um, again, and then we watched as uh, Dakota Johnson got her feet tangled up in her dress on the way out. And I think this is something that most people didn't see because we were at the front, yeah. And we were in the corner by the door that they were leaving in. Just before that door, yep. Dakota had got her heels tangled in this long. She, yeah, she was wearing dress this long, wearing. kind of silvery dress, wasn't she? And she got, and she even uttered like, a, "Oh, for God's sake, no!" or something like. She was so totally funny. like, "No!" Yeah. Um, and Tilda just got right down there, you know, untangled put- her. She just picked her dress up, didn't she? And then, like, Dakota started walking and, like, Tilda was just holding her dress. Tilda just, just, like, slung that dress over her arm and was just holding it behind her like she was, like it was a wedding train and she was just making sure that this bride, like, looked yeah. beautiful on the way out, which was just crazy to me and it was so good. It was just, oh, God, the experience of seeing them was just amazing. Like, we'd been really hyped for the prospect of, of seeing Luca. Completely. It was Luca and Tilda in the... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We really, we absolutely adore Luca and then we both like love Tilda Swinton and she's she just just the coolest she rocked up in this kind of like suit that was oh like a black like blazer and these massive stacked heels and just her hair Crazy. swept back and she's just a goddess like she's amazing and Mia Goth actually looked so good as well she looked a, like I really I think I think that she looked better than Dakota I preferred her dress yeah. it was just kind of like mermaidy kind of I don't know it looked like it had fit like um scales it was just silver it, just, it got very cute fits bob, the like, occasion and yeah. she just like I think it fits the kind of actress that she is and the roles that she yeah, kind of suits so that but, was really great but just seeing Luca I mean the thing that I really adored was that they all left after the sort of the Q&A in the oh film oh my god start. this is just and then so like you said we were on the um, right hand side near this door where they kind of come in from backstage out to go to the screen and, and you Luke... see them all hiding before they came yeah. out and, and Luca just loitered for a long time at the beginning of the film I think because he was waiting he was like, watching he was watching want- all our reactions wanted to see the film's reaction and you leaned over to me at one point and you were like is that Luca still over there and I looked and I was like yeah he's just standing there it was there, just like, too watching. much that I mean that I think if I could have loved him more in that moment I did he he came. He came in early before the Q and A and stood and watched like the the London Film Festival director like introduce the yep. film and then he stood there afterwards and probably for like twenty minutes. He was like the o- he was in there for so long during the opening of the film, just watching us watching yep. it. And I absolutely adored that. I liked that. I loved it. I was like, this is a guy who. He is really, really interested to see how we react to this. He doesn't just go off afterwards and go and do his press interviews. He needed to see how we were settling into this film. It obviously just it came across to me that someone who kind of like is just really deeply invested. He's in all their business, craft. isn't he? Yeah. That's what it is. It's yeah. the f- he doesn't give a shit about the Q and A really or the premiere or the. He is there for the film. He wants to see how the audience is reacting to watching something that he's he's worked on, and I just thought that was just so so brilliant. So, uh, yes, as we said, it was the UK premiere at London Film Festival. The film had officially premiered at Venice Film Festival in September. And the 
plot, for those that don't know it um, or haven't seen the original Suspiria before, uh, the plot is based around a, a young American dancer, uh, Susie Bannion, who's played by Dakota Johnson here in this film. Um, she turns up um, and gains a place at the Marcos Dance Company in West Berlin, where she quickly becomes a favourite of the choreographer there, Madame Blanc, who is played by Tilda Swinton. Um, and she's very quickly cast in the lead role um, of a dance that they are working on. However, as she's staying there, because all of the students stay kind of on campus in the building um, as part of this academy, she soon suspects, as some of the other students do, that something is amiss. Um, the elder women who are running the dance company are in fact witches who are preying upon the younger female dancers in order to sustain themselves and the company and to revitalise its founder, Helena Marcos, who is also played by Tilda Swinton. Mm -hmm. Tilda Swinton has very uh, quite a few roles to play here. Right. It's very close to the original plot with a few kind of key additions. It, uh, Luca has introduced quite a lot of uh, background uh, context. Um, it's very much set in West Germany during a particular time frame, mm -hmm. uh, 1977, uh, with one other big addition, which is uh, the psychiatrist, Dr. Joseph Klemperer, um, who learns about the company from uh, a missing former student and goes to investigate what is happening there. The film has really split opinions so far. Uh, there was an absolutely scathing review in the New Yorker that I read um, that I can quote a bit later. Um, I think we both left the cinema trying to work out whether our expectations had been met or not. I think we were both kind of baffled and not really sure what to say. Um, and I've been quite grateful for the time to dwell on this film now um, and to kind of build up a better opinion on it because I really didn't know what I no, thought. No, it's funny. So, with. like you said, how it's been so divisive. And I think really that going divisive. into it, we knew, based on some of the reactions from people who had seen it at Venice and other places, that it had been very polarising. Mm. So I think we'd attempted to go into seeing it with an open mind. But at the same time, we knew that, like... Okay, we were expecting to be polarised. Yeah, think, we either we? knew that we were going to love it or hate it. And I think I completely agree with you that I'm really pleased that we've had what's so like now three and a bit weeks mm -hmm. to kind of actually process it because I think that my immediate reaction to it is in sort of a little bit of a contrast to mm -hmm. how I feel about it me now. Me too, me too. And I don't know if that's down to the fact that it was very viscerally and visually overwhelming. Yes, absolutely. And I think that there's a lot going on and I think there was a lot to process mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that I've, I've come to terms now mm -hmm. with how I feel about it and my reaction to it versus how I initially felt at the time, which was I remember we left the cinema and we were sort of walking out and we were both a bit shell-shocked. Did a we bit, like that? And a bit like, I don't know what to think. I don't know. I have no opinion. I am yeah, speechless. Like, I, just, I have no solid opinion. And I think that it's almost like, it feels a little bit like that's the point initially. Yes. Like you're meant to feel bombarded and overwhelmed. It is a and, complete sensory overload. Yeah, and I think that you're sort of meant to kind of have to go away and sit with it a little bit. Mm. A lot of the reviews that I've seen, either tweets or kind of uh, reviews that have come out since the embargo's lifted since have sort of mentioned how it lingers with you how it mm -hmm. does stick with you how it's sort of it's quite invasive and then it gets into it your does. brain and makes yeah, you think absolutely. about it and I think that's definitely the case there's definitely there's not been a sort of day that's passed where I've kind of not thought, thought about, about it, it. Or, or had a conversation with someone about it or mm -hmm. read something about it that's made me kind of go like okay yeah cool I've been sitting with that kind of view in my head yeah, or oh actually absolutely. yeah I can I picked up on that or mm. oh yeah I agree or I disagree with that so mm. it's I am kind of pleased that we've had a little bit of time to kind of formulate it and I think that if you you're someone that likes going to films and having an immediate kind of like response i.e i loved that i hated that yeah and then, you know how you feel about it and yeah. it's not gonna shift no and i think that if you're someone that is 
usually usually experiences that when mm-hmm. you go to the cinema i think that you will struggle with suspiria I think you will as because well. you are kind of left with this feeling of like what the fuck am i meant to make yeah. of that um which i think is a positive because i think I, do. I i enjoy watching stuff that kind of befuddles me and and i think you need that and yeah. i think you know um think even in the context of this year like i've had very strong feelings about lots of different films i don't often get to watch a film in which I'm not really sure how I feel and then it changes and I feel like my opinion on this film is going to keep on changing mm. like when I've rewatched it when I've had certain discussions with people I don't think I'm ever going to have a completely solid footing on how I feel about no, this film. And, and it's funny because I, I think that I think we mentioned in probably the week after we saw this we had a couple of chats with people and, and I'd said off the bat I don't know if I can sit because it's two and a half hours long it is yeah at the time for me I didn't it didn't feel like two and a half hours no. I was really surprised when it finished because it didn't feel like two and a half hours no had passed by but I do remember saying and I think I mentioned this to Mikey actually when he yeah. asked me about it I think I'd said like I don't know if I, I can sit do through it again, again. Yeah. however now I really I want to go, go again, again because yeah. I'm really intrigued to see on on, on how it is on second mm-hmm. viewing on whether same. I pick up on some of the same stuff whether I'm able to decode some of the plot points mm. or the visual references better than I was mm. the first time whether actually kind of you are visually bombarded with that and I think that that's fine for me because I'm someone who actually enjoys doing repeat viewings yes. of stuff sometimes same as a way of intent- even if I dislike it like or I feel like I you know dislike something more than I liked it I it often warrants like I think that justifies having the film still in the first place yeah um and going to see it again. I quite like going back and, and sort of reinterrogating, you know, things I'd sort of seen or had a response mm. to the first time round to see mm. if actually I have that response on second viewing. But I think for some people, um, that's not kind of a pattern that they mm. enjoy doing. Mm. Um, so I wonder actually if that's perhaps why people have had such positive and negative mm. responses mm. because I think it's really, having now seen it, I think I can completely understand why you might come away from that and be like, that's absolute bullshit or I mm. hated that. Yeah, for so you, as a, an experience now like looking at it now do you feel more positive about it than yeah. you do negative yeah I think that, that I think there are the things I liked about it and I think worked really well mm-hmm. there are aspects of it that I didn't like um, and I think I, as we go through it, that I, I still don't think even those. when we go back and see it, I still don't think that I will will, will sit. No, right with I don't me. think they're going to sit right either. I think I, for the most part, I feel very positive about this film now, um, and I feel like I would immediately want to enter into discussions with people about it and argue my points. Um, however, I do think there are some really kind of big ish flaws. Um, do you want to start by talking about those flaws, or do you want to sort of? I might just. Uh, I think I might go through this. Can we go through this? strengths yeah first. of course i do that first chip in whenever i think as a i think if we start from the fact that it is like a reinvention it's a remake i think tilda swinton called it a cover version of suspiria um i think it works really hard um to treat the plot and the production of the film with entirely new eyes mm-hmm. so you know i think a lot of people were hesitant because they were like we don't need a new suspiria like how are the visuals going to work how are the, how's the music going to work um and some people don't like the fact that it is a complete departure from the original mm-hmm. In terms of, uh, you know, its visual style is very much more, you know, dull and washed out. It's very kind of complements the kind of grim backdrop um, of Germany in 
the 70s and you know the the sound is I, I feel like Tom York's soundtrack couldn't be you know more different in some ways from the Goblin soundtrack um I think that is a really good thing I think it is personally I think, I think the thing that I picked up on um what you were saying about how kind of the color palette in particular so obviously the film itself is uh, post World War Two but it's pre unification of mm. Germany so it's kind of the you know it's set late, in a very specific late time 70s frame, it? it's a very kind of negative period mm-hmm. in in German history there's been a lot of negative periods of German history but that <laughs> you know one of them, that's yeah. sort of you know in terms of um, pre the wall coming down um, but I think having watched Suspiria sort of the week before so yeah it's worth pointing out that we rewatched the the original like a few days before we saw this which was... I think for me that actually kind of having this sort of drab dull you know very mm. concrete very kind of just pale pale yeah, sort of you know it's very pale and washed out washed out palette then for me it made everything else seem ten times more striking mm-hmm. than when there were the kind of the bursts of colour and and the bursts of violence yeah as well. exactly the kind of the gra- more graphic sides mm. of it it's felt extra striking mm. whereas if you think about the original Suspiria the kind of the use of colour is just completely off the bat and I think mm. it works incredibly well in mm. the Argento version but I do like a lot what Luca's done mm. with having those kind of you know drab 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 and then you'll have this sudden kind of yeah. burst of it and yeah. I think that that makes it extra kind of visual the, the visual impact mm. of that I think just works so well it does and the the visual impact of the original Suspiria it is you know visually it's a, an overwhelming absolutely film and the soundscapes in it are very overwhelming yeah. Um, there's not a lot of substance beyond that to that film. There isn't a plot. We know that there's a witch coven there. We know that she's a dancer who's gone there. There there really isn't that much else going on. And Luca here seems to be trying to, you know, push more of a plot into the foreground, establish more of a backstory, establish more of a context to this story that is not in the original at all. And I think, again, that more than justifies having a remake because he's trying to, yeah, inject a lot of backstory into this. And I think that makes it really interesting. Whether it works all the time, we can get on to. How did you feel about the six act structure? Because you've got these five acts of kind of sort of slow pace, almost art house filming, and then this finale that is you know, without giving too many spoilers away, completely batch it. Um, um, I think initially when we saw it, I wasn't really sure how I felt about it. But in retrospect, thinking about the way that the narrative propels and if you think about the way that, like, obviously you've got a dance company at the mm. centre of it, so it's very theatrical. Yes, it's very theatrical yeah. elements. And actually for me, I think that the kind of separation of mm-hmm. each act ties into that kind of really theatrical it like does, you're, you're, it? you know you know as it goes along you know that something is coming because mm-hmm. of the way that you know how that kind of act why well, yeah. you know yeah. we as sort of viewers and and in consumers of culture you mm. know how an act structure works yeah um so actually at the time i was a bit like oh god this seems a bit kind of well this is what i found I interesting is that i've been slightly baffled by how many critics have kind of interpreted the six act structure as pretentiousness mm-hmm. and it's like but it's so obviously as you say like is yeah is supposed to reflect that kind of it felt like theatrical a, structure of the dance like, acts and I, I wasn't like I I mean I obviously I do get there are levels of pretension in this film but I just that in particular seemed to really piss people off and I don't know why in retrospect to me it feels like a purposeful reference to the way that kind of dance performances yeah. or theatrical performances or oper- operatic performances yeah. are structured so actually I was I think I, I I agree I don't know why that seems like such a a bizarre thing to have included when actually like when you think about the fact that it does focus on something that Mm. you know it's a dance company Mm. it's an arts company you know what I mean Mm. so that for me actually I think I 
I really liked how it kind of broke up the structure mm. of the film because you, it almost propels the narrative into this kind of crescendo. Which you know that, that something's that coming. That final act is really like a visual kind of visceral crescendo. And oh, the, it's and you, and literally it, like it, just blood pours. It's like the entire was, film pours everywhere. It was like the experience of reading a book when, mm-hmm. where you've got chapters and you know that something's mm-hmm. going to happen at the end, but these are the kind of just headings that set, it's scene setting. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way you kind yeah. of, it, yeah. Yeah, I really scene, scene. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you liked yeah, you kind of got that as well. And I for one and I know you as well, I I adored the fact that it is an all female cast. Mm-hmm. I adore the fact that even, you know, the psychiatrist, um, who is pretty much the only kind of really, apart from the policemen that come and visit the dancing school, he's the only male character in it. Yeah. And the male character is played by Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I love that. Convincingly as well. Convincingly, definitely. Yeah. Have known um, so love that it's an all, there's almost no room whatsoever for nope. any men in this film. That's and nice, when they are it? in it, they are ridiculed mercilessly, which yeah. is funny um, and mortifying, but mostly funny for mm-hmm. me. Um, Tilda Swinton, I would say, is the standout. She's for me as Madame Blanc. She's she when she was announced for this film, you knew exactly who she was going to be, and it was like this is this is perfect casting. Tilda is just one of those actresses, I think, that's just she always gives such interesting and varied performances. When I think about films that I've seen her in in the past, I don't think, you know, there are probably consistent threads between all of them. But Mm. I just feel like she always turns it out in such an individual kind of astounding way. And Mm -hmm. she just like she was just phenomenal. She's very, very restrained as, you know, as a dance teacher. But she's also terrifying. Yeah. And she just, yeah, she stood out, her entire look, her aesthetic, the way she behaved, it just, you know, you can see that she's been waiting 20 years to do this yeah. role because it just works so well. I also really enjoyed Mia Goth's character she's really more good. than I expected. Yeah. Um, she plays Sarah, who um, is uh, one of the other dance students um, who's kind of makes friends with Dakota Johnson's new character. Um, and she kind of, she's one of the characters that doesn't believe that this kind of witch coven conspiracy is really taking place. Um, she just, you know, she just wants to argue that this is a normal girls' school um, and she doesn't really see any of what happens coming. Um, she's really, really great. Um, and that, you know, the idea of having an all-female cast ties in very strongly with themes of, you know, the female body, the female grotesque, a lot about female identity in this film. Um, it's a very physical film, which works again with the the structure, the mm-hmm. dance structure ties in with the dance pieces. And I think, you know, that's one of the, the most important parts of this film is that the, the dance, there are long dance sequences that are very physical. The violence is very physical. Mm-hmm. And you really, really feel that, I think, the entire time. Yeah. It's absolutely. the physicality more than anything else. It's, yeah, it's overwhelming. It's, you just sort of have kind of, the, there's such a tight focus on the physicality mm-hmm. of everything. And I just think you get really caught up in it. And you, it, it's just the power mm. of it I mean one of the things there was a podcast I know that we both listened to this week where um, uh, Luca talking to Sean Fennessy on the big picture from the oh, Ring yes, Network, yeah. Networker sorry, and he says that he was really influenced by real life imagery of violence mm. and I think that you can make that kind of visual kind of um, match when you sort of I thought that was very something that mm. when I heard him say that I was like oh actually I can kind of mm. very much sort of see the visual referencing mm. of that in the in the actual film itself I also like that he said that he feels that conflict of power is at the heart of the yeah, film definitely. So, so the conflict between the witch's coven itself um, and then also matched against the external conflict 
conflict within society mm. it's about the role of the past and how you deal with it mm. which I think is obviously true when you think about the fact that it's set in pre-unification mm. Germany so you've got the references back to World War Two. Mm. but then you also think about Susie herself when she's dealing with kind of her upbringing her relationship mm. with her family she's from a Mennonite mm. um, yes. family back yes. in the so States quite a um, strict sort of oppressed background yeah very kind of religious undertones mm. as well um, which kind of suits yeah so you can kind of see why she would fit quite well in a, a coven setting because she's already used to that kind of structure yeah absolutely um, the violence in the film is really interesting because the dancing itself is very violent mm. it's not a ballet dancing academy no. they're not being very graceful it's very like very physical it's very modern physical it is, dancing isn't it? isn't it I was really kind of lots pleased. of movement yeah. and kind of yeah and I kind of associate the film generally as a whole as a very violent film but the actual acts of extreme like gory bloody violence are kind of few and far between there's kind of a few key moments mm-hmm. of really extreme violence but I kind of think of yeah the dance sequences kind of come into that fold for me as being part of the violence as well absolutely yeah they, they have that same similar impact mm, um, they do it all kind of melds into one for me and I'm like yeah it's really violent and then I think actually it's probably only like three or four moments that are actually really you know horror movie violence there's some really really graphic gory stuff but then the kind of the visual impact of the dancing I think still packs just as much of a punch mm. as the kind of really bloody full on intense yeah. horror movie stuff as well yeah and that I mean I think we have to give a quick shout out to that really early dance hall sequence the one that was um, shown at film cons earlier oh, God, in the yeah. year um, which happens really early on um, that was which is very yeah you know there's a lot of body contortion and it yeah. is it is extreme it's not CGI extreme it is physically it's funny actually a lot if you think about the with. contrast between the, the physicality and, and the use of the body with the dancing and then mm. you've got a, a lot of the horror itself is body horror it's it is very yeah. physical and, mm. and involves you know contortion and it's, yeah it's the April like pulling her hands <laughs> yeah, around it's just like, like it's just very ugh. yeah yeah it is um and I I really enjoyed that I enjoyed that it was sensory overload but mm-hmm. those yeah, actual moments of, of kind of extreme violence that people would expect from kind of a horror film um were you know it wasn't happening all the time no I think the there pac- were other things coming into play the that... pacing of that I think worked really well for me mm. and I think it's why it felt so impactful actually when it did happen is because mm. it wasn't continual it wasn't just like violence 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 Mm -hmm. which I think that you know often when you do watch some horror films it's just this continual bombardment Mm -hmm. of sort of graphic and like how far can you push it absolutely and I don't think that matters in this I think it actually pushes itself further than most films do but I don't think that's been done deliberately in order to be like look how awful we can be on screen the extremity of this has ten times more power I think because of how it does happen so infrequently Mm. so when it does happen you're like holy shit like yeah I've just got used to being able to watch this screen all the time and suddenly I can't look away but also I just this is repulsive absolutely Um, so some of the weaknesses in the films yeah. the bits that we feel that were kind of flawed that didn't work so well I, I know a lot of people have said that this film feels very pretentious and very art house personally I don't really buy into that that kind of pisses me off a bit when people I just it, personally I, I didn't feel that so way so my contention with that as an argument is that like what having, even is that well like, yeah and also having watched 
like OG Suspiria the week before when I saw that I was like this feels like a performance piece that you would see in a museum anyway so I'm not really sure why you could argue the the original Suspiria is as pretentious as it gets like some sort of film student at uni who's just gone like look how red I can make this scene my my argument is that like the original Suspiria is an art house film it it seems to me it's not a conventional horror film at all it's obviously of the period Mm. but it it's just as pretentious, just as art housey as the new one apparently is. So I, feel I think like that, as, that as, as soon as something has particularly like a particular type of pace, people suddenly it's the pacing and the aesthetic it as art of it. house. And yeah. I don't even know what that means, but no. it's come up so often that it's really pissed me off. It's patronising. Yeah, it is. I personally, Joseph Klemper's character. I can see you're shaking your head. I could see the point of that character um, as he he's there to bear witness, particularly at the end. They kind of introduce halfway through this story arc for him um, that is quite separate to um, what it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to join and I can kind of see where it's supposed to join. But, you know, the idea is that um, he feels a huge amount of guilt because his wife was taken away during the Holocaust and he had lots of opportunities to get them both out of Germany and to save her and he didn't. Feels very shoehorned in there or just doesn't quite link up in the way that I think it's supposed to. I really struggled to comprehend... I was like, what is this? The purpose of it. I think that you could have him there as a character so that he can still bear witness. Mm. He's positioned as being um, a psychotherapist, isn't he? So he Mm. um, consults with Chloe Grace Moretz's character um, initially in the beginning. That's where the sort of film begins. Mm. And then obviously he kind of digs deep. And he's supposed to be the voice of sanity that says, you know, witches aren't real. This is all... He's supposed to be like the outside perspective that's not involved Mm. in the dance company, isn't he? But I just... And I do get... Having listened to Luca mention about how he thinks that, you know, the film itself is about the conflict in society and about the role that past Mm. plays and how you deal with it... That makes sense in with He's that particular character. He's supposed to be that thread, isn't he, that brings He's, the coven and the context of Germany together. He's like old world Germany struggling to, you know, so post-World War II, mm. probably grappling with the impact of the Holocaust, but then also sort of coming to terms with what's happening in this sort of German mm. autumn 1977 mm. period, sort of seeing his country torn apart. But for me, it just didn't work. It didn't and it work was the, for me either. I, I, it was the one thing that, having now sat with the film mm. and processed it, I think for Still me... Still doesn't work. I still doesn't work and I can even there's been I've listened to a couple of podcasts where they've kind of given their take on what you know the his purpose is and how he feels entering that kind of the scenario with the with the dance hall and I, I get it but I still don't think it works He's... I can see what's supposed to it's supposed to mean I think it, it could be like a whole film in and of itself and I just don't think there's not enough time for that kind of storyline to breathe it's like this, you're um... going to introduce a holocaust storyline like He's sort of there as an investigative character... But to then give him the baggage of dealing with the kind of the yeah, impact just get him of the to Holocaust, investigate. That's fine. it just felt a little bit like we get it. Like there obviously are people in 1977 Germany that mm. would have lost friends, family, colleagues during World War Two. Mm. But to kind of just give him this extra kind of dead wife narrative, I think for me, it just felt a bit like I mm. could have really done without that. And I think that when I've sort of, yeah, been thinking about the film itself, that's the thing for me that I keep yeah. coming back to just being like, I, don't, I still don't get it. I still no. don't get it. Did you find, and this isn't a spoiler because it came out before the film even really aired, um, Tilda Swinton obviously plays him. She was very heavily, you know, under prosthetics. She even wore a prosthetic penis to see how it felt. 
Did you find it distracting going in knowing that she was him? Because I found it a bit distracting. Yeah. I kept it, thinking about latex and the way that they were getting like, oh, I wonder how they did that, which I wasn't supposed to be doing in the middle of the film. No, I just think that every time um, he appeared on screen, I was sort of looking for holes. Right. To, You're waiting for it to go up. Now, that's when you can tell that it's Yeah, not I mean, it's probably a testament to what uh, Tilda Swinton is like as an actress, that she doesn't have any recognisable tells. No. I mean, it's um, very, it is very well done, but, but I still know I was, it's her. I was looking for the seams mm. you know like kind of being like to sort of pick up on yeah. whether actually I'd go like oh yeah I knew, I would and I'm not really sure why do we know why she wanted to do that or why it happened I think it's something I think I don't know if I've just made this up or if I have read it but I think it was just the kind of you know wanting there to be an all-female cast and, mm. and like which why works could, for me why couldn't she play that role I mean there's no which reason why fine. she couldn't no. I, I think my disappointment was that they managed it was really obvious that it was her mm. as in in the build-up because yeah. it kept being talked about but I could have they didn't need to confirm it no and they didn't quite bear it deep enough I don't think they'd quite wanted people to be able to work it out but I believe the the doctor's name can be um translated if you go far back enough into something like swine town which is oh. how they knew yeah like fans worked out that it was Swinton so I think they almost didn't anticipate people finding out so early which I don't think you should ever underestimate internet sleuths because it will you, you know. can't you can't be like an easter egg like yeah. that in a film and, and not expect interestingly to... I've seen a couple of reviews where people had gone in to like early press screenings not knowing that it was Tilda and not realising at all and thinking it was thinking it might be a younger actor in prosthetics mm-hmm. but I don't think it's Tilda I don't think it's female so it obviously did work I did find it a bit distracting and I almost anticipated that it was going to be a plot point for some yeah, reason I think like I did as well. the witch would turn out to be the psychiatrist as I well thought, and I thought there was going to be, like was going to be a reveal yeah. yeah so I wasn't quite sure why that happened which was just a little bit it was a bit distracting um can we talk about the score and the use of Tom York? Yes. Are you putting this in your weaknesses? Well, no, because I enjoyed it, but I'd okay. really like to know what you thought about it. Um, I was thinking about it on the way here. Have you listened um, to it? I the have. whole thing? I kind of... This is really controversial. I could kind of take it or leave it. Okay, fine. I just... And that's very much sort of emblematic of me and Radiohead and Tom York anyway. Yeah. Um, there's parts of Radiohead's back catalogue that I really like mm-hmm. and a lot of it I can just leave yeah, fine. Um, I think there are strong points in that soundtrack and I think it does suit the overall feel and the visuals and the kind of production quality of the film however I kind of can take it or leave it okay that's interesting just, I think that the problem is is that in comparison to the impact that the Goblin soundtrack has I think that's has, the thing I can kind of leave so the visuals of Suspiria behind yeah. the original but the soundtrack is a really hard thing yeah the other soundtrack really gets into your bones and haunts you. It makes me feel sick. Qu- yeah, this didn't quite haunt me in the same way. And I don't know... Haunting's probably the wrong word because it is haunting. But I, I think that the way that it worked for me, I, I thought in the context of the film, it does work it does particularly work. well. And I think the, the reason behind that for me is that I think it matches so incredibly well with the kind of washed out... Yeah, yeah, it blankness, does. It wouldn't almost. work to have a Goblin-esque soundtrack no. with that film. So I can totally see... Um, did you find there is a final act in the film mm-hmm. where all hell breaks loose? Mm-hmm. They use one of the songs in that point, which I thought didn't work. I don't no. know if you remember it, but it just got... That was the point in which it went completely batshit. Still had this kind of haunting... I don't know, it just... I was like, ah, this is jarring a little bit. It, it was quite bit, jarring for me as well. It didn't work in that moment. No. Um, as I said, I don't have a problem with the soundtrack, but it doesn't stand out to me personally. Yeah. But I think a lot of... you know, I think it will work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure what else could have worked to be no, honest and I, think, I try and think of an alternative it's like 
well, what are you going to do? I think that's like, what I come I come back to actually is that I don't know what the alternative would be and then what would work better mm-hmm. than that. So I think it, I think it serves its purpose. Mm. Um, is there anything else in particular? Yeah. Well, there's one more thing I want to bring up before we uh, we go on to the big problem, as yeah. I've put it, which I know we both agree on. It kind of taps back into this idea of pretentiousness mm-hmm. in that I do worry a little bit sometimes that this film, I was like, oh, you know, came out thinking, you know, this film is saying a lot about you know female bodies and about oppression mm-hmm. and about the time frame in which it's set sometimes i wasn't really sure whether it was actually saying much i was kind of thinking in terms of i don't know whether it's a good parallel or not but thinking of like pan's labyrinth the way that that storyline draws um the kind of the political context um the backdrop to the film they're kind of drawn together i don't know they're they're just that one can't exist without the other yeah. and they kind of seamlessly come in together um and i feel like they say a lot about one another Whereas in this film, I don't know whether it always works. Like, I don't know whether trying to align the oppression of, like, yeah, Western Germany in the 70s was really working with the impression. I'm really glad there's a context and and that Luke had tried to develop the plot in that way. I don't know whether it went far enough sometimes. I think that the problem that I found with... And the the Holocaust storylines, things like that. I was like, it's kind of been chucked in. That needs to be developed if you're going to chuck it in. I think it was an interesting stylistic and and narrative choice to situate it in this particular period of of German history Mm. but I do remember saying to you afterwards when we came out so it it continually refers to the um, RAF so the Red Army Faction Mm. Um, at the time there's the sort of the hostage taking it mentions the Beider Meinhof group they're also known as the the RAF and I think I said to you afterwards I was like did you in prior to the film Mm. did you have any knowledge of Beider Meinhof of RAF or anything like that personally no yeah exactly and it's sort of like I had like kind of a vague awareness of mm. it, but I, it's not very clear, is no, it? No, and I wonder if actually like I think it's lost a bit. I think it. Lo- I think that that gets lost. It's sort of like it's there, but it's not explained, which is fine because if you are situating it in 1977. Mm. Berlin, mm. you do need to contextualise mm. the socio-political mm. yes. climate of the period, but at the same time, like, is that just is trying to connect the link of that with what's yeah. the, pl- the kind of the narrative of the film? Too much of a stretch. Are yeah. we reading into that too much? Do we need to read into it? Is that playing? I feel like part? with that kind of backdrop, it almost needs to be read into more. Yeah, and, and I think and there's not enough time to I do that. I think that's that. the it's a Huge undertaking to have that as like, yeah, this is when it's happening and you know some of what is happening in this dance school is kind of microcosmic of what is going on and that is a hell of a lot to kind of I think if you're trying to draw parallels between what's happening in Germany what's happened in Germany the impact of that the legacy of that of how Mm. you grapple with feelings of guilt you know coming to terms with what's happened in your country but then also you're trying to explain this completely other narrative of the dance company and everything like Mm. that it's just a lot it felt like a lot yeah it was kind of you got on the one hand all these discussions around identity and stress and the female body and the grotesque and sort of control and then you've also got I think again Luca was saying in this in the Ringer podcast about the role of the past and the way it affects the present and they are two very big yeah that's a lot to kind of contend with in one film and I don't think that completely works no there are big issues there aren't there and I don't know how successful it is in kind of um presenting what its thesis is Mm, almost and I think when when critics have said I did not like this film because he introduces this huge backdrop but it seems like he's doing it just to be you know clever I can't I personally I think highly enough of Luca that I don't think that's 
that is what it is but i can agree that i don't think it works I en- if that's people's criticism i kind of agree with that yeah i enjoy doing a level of homework sometimes mm. after seeing a film but i don't feel like i need to go away I, I shouldn't feel like i have to go away from a film and and kind of retrospectively have to swat up on, on yeah and then know, try and European make history. the connections yeah re- yeah after the film like, absolutely should be able to just makes the connections yeah. during the film should we go on to the big problem, though? Yeah, which so, I'm glad you agree with, because apparently no one else in the world agrees so, with us. So um, we kind of briefly talked about this, um, and I've talked about this on many occasions, I think, but one of our apprehensions going into this film was the inclusion of Dakota Johnson, who yes. is someone who, for whom we do not care. And I think that we'd tried to be optimistic and, and feel... This was going to be the film that changed it all We thought me. that like this would be the, oh, do you know what? I get it. She's great. But the problem for me, my main bugbear with this film is her because it just doesn't work. My least favourite parts of the film are the bits with the lead character are bits in. With, with her. And I think that... And she it, is the main protagonist. It was distracting for so me. So distracting to think about constantly how ineffectual I think she is. I, I just... Like, I, I would I would get really immersed in it and then there would be, like, sequences where it was... Her forehead would appear. Just and her. Yes, it just wouldn't... And I don't, I don't get it. There's such a... A lot of the, the reviews I've read around this have gone, Dakota Johnson's great in it. Where? No. Like, how? I, I just, just... She's nothing... She just doesn't... She's so flat. I think that... Flat. The, it's the flatness of it. It's, like, fine when she's dancing and when she's sort of dealing with other characters and the, and the kind of exploring. When she's not opening her mouth. It, that's the thing for me. she is dull. She, she has nothing to... The it's minute, not the script. It's her. The minute she talks, I'm out. It pills me out. She's so boring. It was jarring. Does she and, give a shit about anything? And I, in there? like, I been prepared to experience that on some level, but I didn't. I was really unprepared for how every time there was a piece of dialogue for her, I felt I pulled me out. And yeah, I was and like, it's not no, the script. It's no. her delivery. She's yeah. just so flat. You just, you know, there's this whole dynamic between her and Madame Blanc, which is supposed to be almost like in a weird. Is you know is not but you know you've got call me by your name with these two people and their kind of blooming relationship and you've got like Madame Blanc and Susie and they're supposed to have this really intense connection that's it's being this... built and there's nothing no. because it's her and yeah. she does nothing. I, I, it's jarring. What's her breathy voice about? I don't like it. The end that I really bought into the end. I really enjoyed the end. I enjoyed how it kind of almost switches into this yep. crazy body horror B movie. Extreme. Your, the whole film lulls Her. you into a really false sense of security and then that end crescendo is just like so wild and so at odds with mm. everything but it works yeah. it really works and apart that's the point from her, apart from her she's so boring in it and it's like <sighs> why is she standing there she's doing nothing I. she's so boring she's got a really breathy breath and that's what I mean like when you think about someone like Mia Goth who's been in stuff that I've seen but I've not really thought about mm-hmm. her in any you know when I saw that she was added to this shamefully my point of reference for me goth was oh she was married to Charlotte birth yeah you know fair. what i mean um but she was really great really this. good when her storyline when it kind of went you know often a, a slight tangent with her and there was the story arc with her meeting up with the psychiatrist yeah. and i was like cool i'm on board with yeah. this let's just follow her for yeah, a bit let's I not go back to susie banion because no. i don't care no i just don't care she I... made me not care about her but everyone else seems to care april i don't know what it is then it's just what us. the fuck the the number of people there for dakota johnson alone at the premiere 
Like, they were almost as hysterical so, as the Timmy fans. Why? My big takeaway after the film was I happened to post a tweet on the pod Twitter that was a picture oh of God, that I'd yeah. taken. And then um, it got picked up by Dakota Johnson's Stan Twitter. Quicker than Timmy fans. The quicker than the Timmy one did. And it was just relentless. Like, my phone was blowing up with just retweets and yeah. likes about this one tweet in which I'd happened to mention her name because the fandom for her is insane. I'm so I don't glad get you it. didn't say exactly how we felt because we'd be getting... I mean, if any of them listen to this, we're fucked. We're but fucked. we're probably going to get hit into our house. I she, don't get it. If I think about the film, the th- the and and we've we've obviously talked about the, the aspects of it that we don't think are as successful as the other stuff. I but think I would think this film is excellent, I, if despite she, its yeah. flaws. Without her, yeah, exactly. She brings it down. She really brings it down. I don't for get me. why Luca. I just he don't get any her, of it. He, he does, and her. I don't get it. My concern is that she's being touted for the. Oh call my me, god! Call me by your name. Sequel. No, I just can't. If she plays, it's going to ruin everything. If she plays Oliver's wife. No, I don't think I can go. Although, then at least, why would I buy any of you're that? You're gonna. I think you're, you're gonna hate whoever marries Oliver anyway, because it Oliver, needs to be someone justified. But, that I'm like, I can see why. Oliver did that. At least try and convince me. Come on now. Literally the highlight of my experience with Dakota Johnson is watching her get tangled in her own dress and only because A, it's funny and B, because Tilda Swinton was there and did something cool. I just don't care. We were wetting ourselves that happened because it felt like karma because we don't like She was like, no! It was, I'm so sorry. I had to really stifle like a aha! And she wasn't interesting in the Q&A. No. Blank. I just I don't get it. I don't get it. And I get it. And I think that we'd been very prepared to actually come out of this and be like, oh my God, we love her. She's amazing. Yeah. Finally, no. she's stepped up. No. We can see this has been her role. She's why, finally... No. Why do people keep casting Can someone write her? an essay on why they give a shit about Dakota Johnson? Because I don't get it. I need, I need like, evidence. Actual evidence. Persuasive evidence. Write me a persuasive argument, please. Suspiria doesn't cut it. And yeah, I'm with you. And that was the one thing we did both agree on yep. fully when we came out was like, Dakota Johnson is a hard no. Yeah. And she continues to be a hard no. Always. Don't you dare put her in Call Me By Your Name too. No. But generally, overall, my thoughts and I think your thoughts are this more than justifies a remake. Absolutely. It Largely it works. There are flaws. But, you know, for those, including myself, who are originally like, why would you even do this? These these are the types of occasion where a remake is justified or Absolutely. a reinvention or a re-envisioning. It's done something completely different. It is added to the story. Some of it is, it's a cinema experience that I, I won't really experience with much else, at least this year. Yeah, it really, it does a lot of really interesting things. I always feel like the sign of, of a good film quote-unquote good film for me is that if i if i go away and i i'm thinking about something and i'm still thinking about something and i'm processing Mm. it then it obviously had an impact yeah and i do think that like you said i think this is one of the most viscerally visually Mm. impactful things i've definitely seen this year and while it wasn't as you know 10 out of 10 Mm. amazing as it perhaps thought it would be Mm. for the aforementioned Mm. flaws it's still one of the best things i've seen this year and i think that luke has done such an amazing job to take a film like argento's suspiria Mm. which has got such a legacy and is so well revered by by so many filmmakers Mm. and film fans and to take it and kind of go like pull elements of 
it yeah. and create something that's different enough to stand on its own, I think is a real achievement. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting just to add on that quickly that, you know, I hadn't realised, I'm sure you didn't, that, you know, this was in pre-production before Call Me By Your Name even happened. These films were filmed simultaneously. I had no it idea. It was weird enough that Call Me By Your Name came, you know, Suspiria followed that film. Yeah. This happens simultaneously and they are so different. So like, different. This man can, he's, you know, obviously a very... Uh, someone who's very tapped into feeling and his films are very sensual and you feel that and that is why it works but you know it's amazing that he did these two films concurrently and it and it works so well and he you know talks about horror being the only genre that he really like he repeatedly fantasizes about and he does he you know he knows what he's doing with horror films and i think i would agree with you in that this will could easily make my top films of 2018 list even though it's got more flaws than some of the other films that like you know there are other films out there i said they don't have a flaw but it would still this would still rank higher for me i hope everyone goes to see it who is interested and i hope they have a lot of opinions on it but if you enjoy it because dakota johnson is in it then we do have a problem yeah please see it and so we can discuss it particularly if you are able to enlighten me as to why she's touted as being a real talent because we ain't seen it cool so that's our um london film festival bonus episode um over um you can find us online with twitter at the thirst soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod you can subscribe and review us on apple Podcasts and itunes by searching the thirst instagram we're at the thirst pod the thirst is where you can find a list of our links and articles and our email address is the at gmail.com if you'd like to send us your thoughts and feelings and um, we'll be back soon with another episode goodbye bye <laughs>